Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. I am so excited because, of course, Aaron Sorkin, who is by far and away the best writer for television ever for a series, the third and last season, Heartbreak, Heartbreak, of The Newsroom has started, and there's only two episodes left, actually, and I sort of feel the way... um, my daughter felt about Salinger. She didn't want to read his last book because then she would have read everything. And I feel that way about the newsroom and the fact that we're going to see the end of it, which is a series that should not end. So probably we'll end up talking mostly about Sorkin because it's, you can't, it's, we have to wait till it's over to really go into the newsroom too much. But the opening scene in the first episode of the newsroom, I think is one of the great scenes written for television when he, challenges with factual information the reality that America is not the best country in the world. And I know, did you, how did you feel about that scene? Well, it's funny. I first saw that scene on YouTube. So if oh, you go to YouTube and you search the best scene ever on TV, you will see it. Um, and of course, I'm sure your daughter must, uh, you know, be looking forward to reading Salinger's new works that are being published this year. I know, I know, I know, I know. So yeah. it's kind of like Aaron Sorkin, I'm sure, will have some new amazing project in the works. Well, he already um, does. He has the Jobs Project. Oh, yeah, there you go. Which just got Steve picked Jobs. up finally. It mm-hmm. had a lot of trouble. That movie had a lot of trouble getting out. But the reason, it's funny, that he did a great interview recently about the newsroom and why it's the end of it. And they're saying to him... You know, why is this the last season when it's doing so well and now the following is really starting to pay attention to it and really care about it? And he said he doesn't write well for television. He doesn't write well for television because he's not deadline-driven. Oh. And TV is. And people were waiting sometimes for the scripts the night before they were shooting. And with the kind of dialogue he, you have to memorize Mm -hmm. with his work, those guys really had a hard time. That's and he exactly. said, I'm not made to write for television. I mean, and so many actors, great, great actors, have said Aaron Sorkin is so challenging because of this snappy, rapid-fire, witty dialogue with a lot of big words. I don't know how Jeff Daniels pulls it off week after week. Oh, I know. You know. I know. Well, he, you know, he is much more talented than we ever knew before, and it's a great well, role for him. It's By funny. the way, I'm sure a million people were to, were to, were dying for that role. Oh, I'm sure. I first yeah. saw Jeff Daniels in Terms of Endearment when he played Deborah Winger's boyfriend named mm-hmm. Flap or Loser. Flip or Flip, <laughs> you know, flip yeah. Flap. Um, but I most recently saw him on Broadway. Did you see Gods of Carnage? I did not, no. They later... I saw the original one in the 80s. But. Um, the French play? It was, mm-hmm. it was a French play. They um, translated it into English. It's, you know, had a very good run on Broadway. And then it became a movie with Jodie Foster, which I did not see. But one thing that I thought was just amazing is that the play only had four actors. Uh, so when I first saw it, it was Hope Davis, Marsha Gay Harden, Jeff Daniels, and sadly the late James Gandolfini. Um, and later, Jeff Daniels um, swapped out, and he did the part that had originally been James Gandolfini's. So I saw it both times, once where he played a lawyer, the other where he played a plumber. And you realize just how talented he was to play two completely different roles in the same play. Well, he also, he has said that this is a great role for him, mm-hmm. and that he's very grateful to Sorkin, because Sorkin does write the kind of roles that make you fabulous if you have that in you. But the entire cast is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody in... In this, I mean, Jane Fonda. You know, she tremendous. is tremendous in this mm-hmm. in this role, and in this third and final season, she's not showing up very much. And the other thing that's sort of sad for me is that the guy who plays um, in the third season. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
where is he? Neil, the guy who plays Neil, who's a great, great part. Anyway, he shows up in the first... I'm, I'm not going to do a giveaway, but he shows up in the first episode, and I haven't seen him since. So, you know, I really want to um, find out where, you know, where... Uh, where it all comes from, but it also goes back to Sorkin. You know, there's so much criticism of this series, and a lot of this criticism stems from Sorkin's righteous uh, pontification of his mm-hmm. point of view, his leftist point of view in mm-hmm. terms of uh, of politics, etc. And I guess because I probably you know, financially, I lean toward the right, and you know, um, emotionally, I lean toward the left in terms of politics. But I feel like he also does present both sides quite well. You know, well, he definitely does it in uh-huh. a way that manipulates you into the leftist side. There's no question. Right? Did you see his 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl, where there was a bit there where he just went off on Sarah Palin? You know, so I mean, obviously, he really does lean left. No, um, that's clear. You know, it, yeah. it's clear. Um, however, one of the great counter arguments that I've ever seen on any TV show was, of course, Ainsley on The West Wing, and that was such a good character who obviously who represented, changed my point of view. You know, exactly yeah. on the ERA. She I did. will never forget that scene. I where, was totally for it, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I watched it. I put it on rewind because at that time. You, you could. You, you could, could tape it on video. Yeah, uh-huh. and I watched it again, and I thought, oh, my God, she's absolutely right, mm-hmm. you know. And he's also struggled religiously because he dated— Kristen Chenoweth. Chris, yes, he mm-hmm. dated her, and she's a devout Catholic. Yeah. And he has real issues with God, as do I. You know, I have God issues, no question. <laughs> and he kept saying, but she's smart. You know, how can she believe this if she's smart? And he and she struggled in their relationship— tremendously through this and he writes that in so well too and in this third season and again I don't want to give it away but there is a marriage and um, he sits down with this Catholic priest to ask him to come and marry them sort of in a hurry and the priest says um, you know did you come here at this time when you're so busy to talk about you know 2,000 years ago because we can't have that conversation again (laughs) and he says no I came to ask you to marry me we're going to get married at City Hall will you come and do that would mean a lot to her and he says you know well I'm a Catholic priest you have to get married in a Catholic building and and it's you know it's only in the Sorkin way he says oh you know so the guy who's omnipowerful over the entire universe he only works in certain buildings. Oh. You know, he does it in this amazing... And the priest says, I'll be there. You know, it's you know, it, it's just he asks the right questions that we all ask with eyes rolled. And he is just a genius. But I, ha- I have to read you this thing. Somebody asked him a question. Despite your success, you often seem almost chronically dissatisfied with your own work. How are you able to get past this doubt? And what advice would you give to writers? And as somebody who is a writer, an aspiring writer that I am... He said, William Goldman is considered the dean of screenwriters, having written All the President's Men, Marathon Man, The Princess Bride, Misery, A Bridge Too Far, The Great Waldo Pepper, and Magic, just to name a handful. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable collection of diverse work. Yeah. He took me under his wing shortly after I graduated from college and has been a mentor and friend ever since. One day he was trying to teach me something by tearing apart a scene he'd written a long time ago. After he'd made the point he was trying to make, he shook his head and said, damn, I wish I could write that again. The scene he was talking about, the opening of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Mm -hmm. a screenplay for which he won the Academy Award. And that opening scene in Butch Cassidy is one of the great opening scenes in in, in film. So, you know, I think 
I think Sorkin is so good that he does constantly look back. But don't we all look back on everything we've done in life and think, okay, if I had a chance to do that particular thing again, I would have done mm-hmm. it just a bit better. I think that's true of anybody who has a sense of excellence. I think that is true. And I hope that we'll do a future podcast just on William Goldman. And I don't know if you've read his books on screenwriting, but one thing that he did that I thought was just such a great gift to aspiring screenwriters. Who is this? Uh, William Goldman. Okay. He attached in an appendix an actual draft of a screenplay that he was writing on then. And he sent it out to all his screenwriter friends, like Callie Curry, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and some of the just great screenwriters, and asked for their feedback and included that in his book with their annotations of Hmm. what they would fix. And it just goes to show that everybody has a different perspective. Wait, which book is that? I have to look that up. Uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade. Okay, um, I will definitely, definitely get it. Definitely worth yeah. checking out. Well, also, I had to tweet after this last episode. Um, we're on episode four out of six. Only six episodes? What a <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> but I did have to tweet out that the, his he used Ave Maria as a background song. He's very good at bringing fabulous music into his, uh, into his work. And he uses Ave Maria for the last two minutes, at least, of the entire episode. And then I'm like, I've heard this before. And then I remembered that he did it in the West Wing when Josh is referring back to his sister who died in a, in a fire. Josh ran, runs out as a small child of their house after a popcorn machine started the house on fire. His sister didn't get out and she died. And her favorite song or favorite music was Ave Maria. And as Josh is reliving being shot, Ave Maria plays in the same exact way that, that Sorkin brought it in to... Um, this episode four. And, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, I don't really think he should be doing that. I think to me, you know, he does that a lot. He uses a lot of the same languages. He sometimes uses the same symbolism, all kinds of things. And he does it. And does he forget that we have watched The West Wing 180 times? Well, you have watched <laughs> The West Wing 180 times, and I'm sure can quote it verbatim at this point. I can, absolutely. You know, but um, I didn't know that Aaron Sorkin started out as an actor. He really wanted to make it as an actor and took, you know, all the odd jobs that an actor will take in New York City working at the TKTS discount ticket booth and wrote the play A Few Good Men on napkins he did, you know, yeah. while he was trying to make mm-hmm. it big. Um, Which, by the way, his sister was a lawyer. And she told him the story of a few good men. That's right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a, it was a. It, no, I'm sure it's not factual, but it was a story that he had heard from mm-hmm. his lawyer's sister. And having a lawyer in my family, I can tell you right now, you're not supposed to tell oh. anybody these things. But and he based the Demi Moore character in A Few Good Men on his sister. Um, but I I love that you pointed me towards the commencement speech that Aaron Sorkin gave at his alma mater, Syracuse University, because. There is a moment in there where he just congratulates them on being the newest dumb people. <laughs> he said, you know, at this moment in time... You think you know, you're smart. You think you're smart. You have a degree in something, you know, and yet you're probably the smartest dumb people. Um, and I think that Aaron Sorkin does at least recognize that um, he doesn't know everything at this moment in time and that his perspective might change and he might meet a Kristen Chenoweth and, you know, have a different perspective on religion or at least be able to write in Um, Well, you know, it's an open question for him. You know, there are mm -hmm. some questions that we don't have the answers to. And nobody can say for sure there's a God and nobody can say for sure there is not. You know, it's something that you can continue to sort of relive over and over again. And I think that he does bring those things. He brought it into the West Wing. He brings it into a lot, a lot of places. But also, I know he's very active. I think he 
He's very active in casting, mm-hmm. and this, like The West Wing, is brilliantly casted. And although, unlike The West Wing, he didn't bring anybody from The West Wing in, and usually he does in his series bring somebody in. And I'm sure Josh, poor Josh, is just devastated that he didn't get to come in and play, you know, one of you know John, you know, to play Jim Harper or Don Kiefer, both of which were definitely Josh parts, although he's a little old. But he does, he's brilliant at casting. And then mm-hmm. I thought, maybe he doesn't, is not brilliant at casting as much as he starts writing after the casting mm-hmm. has taken place. And I think he spends time with these actors, and I think he may write it based on their, you know, where their strengths are in terms of their presentation. Because Emily Mortimer, who mm. plays um, Mackenzie McHale. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. great, 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 great role. Great mm-hmm. role. Um, Maggie Jordan, another great role. It's sort of like a believable Carrie um, from Homeland. You know, she's a little wacky, but she's smart, and you can see that smartness in her. But the best sub-character, the be- and it's really an ensemble because all the characters get a big role, is Sloane Sabbath. Uh-huh. And I haven't seen her in anything, and I can't wait to see Olivia Munn. What else is Olivia Munn going to do? And what else has she done? She's not done much. But she is a really, really good actor and in incredibly good at comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Really, really strong. And of course, Waterston, in the first season, I think it might be even in the first episode, when he's sitting there and he says, when was the last time you saw her? And and <laughs> I love that. I know. And, and I'll Mil- fly away. Mil McAvoy mm-hmm. says... Three years ago. Well, that was the last time you were a nice guy. You know, <laughs> he just delivers the brilliant lines in a mm-hmm. in, at Waterston in a, an amazing way. He shakes his head. He stomps around. He's just you know drunk. He's fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. I mean, he's been in Woody Allen movies. He was in I'll Fly Away, and of course, Law and Order. Um, you know, it's interesting what you say about casting, though, that there are these actors who tend to recur um, in Aaron Sorkin oh, uh, work. So, for example, one of Aaron Sorkin's early films that I thoroughly enjoyed was The American President with Michael Douglas well, and which Annette is Bening. Why, yeah. Which and is, it's in <laughs> The American President, Martin Sheen played the chief of staff. He did. Yes. And went on to be the president himself on the West Wing. He did. Now you know who was they wanted to Sydney Poitier was was slated to play really? the president. Yeah. Oh, that would have been and interesting. He turned it down. I can't remember why. But wow. Yeah, it's interesting if you go and look at the casting for the West Wing, and we'll do an entire thing on the West Wing. So I don't want to give away all my West Wing coolness, <laughs> but um, well, who originally were you know was casted for some of those roles? Are, you know, is pretty pretty interesting. You know, but wow. and actually the way Sorkin came up with that idea, he went to a meeting with some TV people thinking it was just a get-together meeting. And basically, the night before, he had had dinner with friends, and one of the friends he had dinner with said, you're not going to... They want you to pitch something at the meeting tomorrow. And he said, no, they don't. They just want to talk to me. And she said, no, they're going to want you to pitch something. And I think you should pitch a series based on the American president. So when he got to the lunch, he had nothing to pitch. So he pitched the series that she mentioned the night before, not Mm. thinking it would take off because White House stuff and and D.C. politics had never done well. None of the works would touch it. And Aaron Sorkin touched on that in his commencement speech at Syracuse, where his uh, roommate, who was also a drama major, mm-hmm. was making fun of him that he was always reading the headlines. And he's like, if you're a drama major, you want to be an actor. Why are you reading Newsweek and Time? And of course, he's made a career out of it. And he, you know what he has done is he's also made a career out of finding that 
which we all think, why didn't I think of that? In mm-hmm. other words, he finds the question, and part of season three is about the Boston Marathon killing, oh. the terrorist bombing, mm. and the question of what's news and what qualifies someone to actually dictate the news, meaning do 100 tweets that came out saying two bombs went off here, mm-hmm. are, are they allowed to use that as crowdsourcing is basically the topic that we all have to look at in season three. And it's a really interesting debate about where has news gone. So I do think that he brings up really, really important questions for the future of what's going to happen to news. Um, I met, just coincidentally, on a train recently, a former career politician who said that the most political people in Washington are the reporters. Yes. And he said that now with this 24-hour news cycle, yes. um, you know. Cable news changed changed politics forever because you got to go on and be somebody when you're not, mm-hmm. you know. And stir up controversy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the days of Morrow are over. <laughs> well, I remember seeing an interview with Aaron Sorkin when he wrote The Social Network, oh. of course, about Facebook and how he said that he is not a Facebook guy. Um, and yet his ability to write these scripts. He actually, it's very funny. Way. He When he met with Zuckerberger, he, which is what I call him, <laughs> um, Zuckerberger, anyway, <laughs> He said, what do you mean you don't have a Facebook account? So he set him up one. So Aaron Sorkin does have a Facebook account. It's private. He has one friend. Is that Mark Zuckerberg? Yes. Oh, how funny. <laughs> well, I did hear that Mark Zuckerberg, um, his favorite show on his Facebook page was The West Wing. Mm. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin thanked him for that. Uh, yeah, well, it is my favorite show as well. Finally, you know, we have Zuckerberger and I have something <laughs> in common. Um, well, I remember hearing about all the threatened litigation um, when the social network was being pinned. And um, Aaron Sorkin said in an interview that it was even um, Facebook was making claims about how many countries they were in around the world. And it was some astronomically high number, like 214 countries you know, somewhere thereabouts. And according to the United Nations at that point in time, I think there were only 183 countries or something like that. And, um, you know, Aaron Sorkin was commenting about how they just used the Facebook number because they didn't even want to have to dispute that, how many countries there were. Um, I well, didn't realize... you know, the, new, the newsroom season... Season one was great. Season two was not. Season two took place solely around an incident... And some trouble they got into. It was not. I don't. I. It was not as as rich as season one. And now season three is better than both of them. And it's a really important season to watch because it raises so many questions for our world today and where we're going and one of the ways we're really messing up. So he's done a great job, and all the actors, amazing job. For there's nobody in there that's not good. Nobody. Um, well, it's interesting because I know that um, you know articles have been written about Aaron Sorkin and roles for women. And, of course, he brought us your favorite, C.J. Craig. Oh, you know, yes. um, one of the greatest characters ever, ever written. written for TV. And on the, the greatest female characters, I should um, say. And yeah. one of the greatest characters, yeah. really, in my opinion. Um, you know, I would love to have her as our press secretary for real. You mentioned Jane Fonda on the newsroom. Just a riveting presence where even when she's sitting in the back of the room and not talking, you know, you can't take your eyes off her. You just know that she's a force to be contended with. Um, in the social network, however, I don't know how you felt about it, but... Um, you know, wait, can I just interrupt for one quick second? Absolutely. Also, Marsha Gay Harden mm. came in in season two. And again, I have to point out, she starred with Jeff Daniels on Broadway in The Gods of Carnage. Okay, Hope well, Davis. maybe that's how she got it, but, yes. and she's mm-hmm. very, very good in the role. And um, 
Actually, when she rented my apartment, really, yeah, in New York, when, and, she, and when she came to look at the apartment, um, and she walked through, it was there was a three stories of a brownstone, and she was just, she had just won the Academy Award, and she came in just oh natural with her three year old, and we chatted, and she couldn't have been nicer, and I of course was, you know, blinking trying to pretend I didn't know who she was, <laughs> but uh, of course I did, and um, could not have been nicer. But it, it's funny she has chosen odd, she makes odd choices I think sometimes, you know she has chosen oddly in terms of what she's picked up to do, and I know that she wanted to raise her family, and she talked about that that it was hard to be away for so many months or whatever. So I think some of her choices have been family based. But this is such a good role for her. And mm. she also can do comedy. Mm-hmm. She's very funny. There's one time, I think it's the it's the end of season two, when she's walking in with Jane Fonda and Jane Fonda's son. And Jane Fonda's son is now hooked up with a Rockette. Oh. And she goes, third generation Rockette? Oh, my God, this is how we roll. Harvard Rockette. And, you know, she just really, she, she did it well. And if it hadn't been done well, it would have fallen flat. So... Kudos to her for playing a role with humor mm-hmm. uh, and, and quip wit, which she, you know, definitely has. And I, I think we have to give Marsha a little bit of a shout out here. Um, Sports Night, another Aaron Sorkin show, yeah. which I loved. And again, it you goes, told me about that. I had not known about it. And I watched the entire series in a week and it was great. And that is a great development now with online streaming that some of these shows you mm-hmm. can just relive today and binge watch. Joshua Molina. It was not, by the way, it's not, and he's in that show. Was from on the Sports West Night. Yes. He was on West Wing. I mean, yeah. he's in many Aaron Sorkin Which is why I'm sure he's saying, excuse me, Aaron, why am I not <laughs> on the newsroom? Which may be equal to. It's shorter, you know. They they're not going to have as much time to develop it all, but uh, but certainly the newsroom has as as good writing as the West Wing in many of its episodes for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we hope if you're not watching it, you can get it. By the way, on on demand, you can watch it. And so and I don't know. I don't think iTunes iTunes does have season one and two. Doesn't have season three yet. I think iTunes has to wait. By the way, for three months after the last. Thing has played on on HBO oh. before they're allowed to, but it's a great great season, and I'm going to be so sad for it to end. So sad. Wow! Until the next Aaron Sorkin project. I know, but we have talked about Aaron every time, every day. Yes. I mean, I love him. And his next project, just as a little teaser, is the Steve Jobs uh, screenplay that he's been working on for a really long time. And it, I can't remember if if Weinstein, if the brothers turned it down, or something went awry with it. And now it's been picked up again, so it looks like it will, in fact, come to fruition. So that's great. And have you heard this um, piece of trivia? I don't know if it's that Steven Spielberg asked Aaron Sorkin to do a polish on Schindler's List. A polish? Yes. As in what? And polish the screenplay. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, I knew that he was asked by Steve Jobs to polish his Stanford address that everybody thought was brilliant. Uh. Um, no. So uh, did he do it back then? Apparently. He must have. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see Aaron Sorkin's style in Schindler's. I, I don't see his mark there. I saw it in Jobs's, you know, commencement speech, which I think everybody should watch. You can see Sorkin in it, but mm-hmm. I can't see him in Schindler's List. Can you? You know, I, that's why I was surprised. Yeah. Um, and yet I also didn't realize that he had written the screenplay Moneyball. Oh, yeah. That's adapted great. the yeah. book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a great, another great screenplay, mm-hmm. but and he was he sort of toned back his uh, repart, you know, repartee between people in that Moneyball bit. 
But I thought Moneyball was great. I watched Moneyball twice, mm-hmm. actually. That was a very yeah, enjoyable very movie. Yeah, very good movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, well Aaron, congratulations on the newsroom. And if you haven't watched it, and if you don't get HBO, it's worth getting it just to watch the three seasons. And then you can cancel it a month later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>